Hi, welcome to What Chance. I'm your host, Karin Elias. This podcast is about people who have been to prison. It's about their life before and after prison. I talk to educators, social workers, activists, and the formerly incarcerated. I want to find out what happened. Are some people at higher risk of going to prison? And what is it like to reintegrate into society? What does the justice system and society really care about? Punishment or rehabilitation? Come, join me. My guest today is Alicia Khan. Alicia is the Vice President of AVP USA, the Treasurer of AVP New York, and involved with AVP, the Alternatives to Violence Project in the Mid-Hudson Valley. She is a transgender woman who had been incarcerated and now is Director for the Queer Justice Committee at the Newburgh LGBTQ Center. Welcome, Alicia. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm always wondering, so we are now in New York and I grew up in Austria and I spent most of my childhood in my grandparents' garden. I was digging around in the earth with my cousins. And so I'm wondering when you were a child, did you have a favorite game or a favorite activity? Um, hmm. I would say when When I was a child, I definitely enjoyed playing like in a tree house, like playing in my tree house, playing in the middle of like where I grew up. Like there's this big giant tree and all my friends used to climb up on top of it. And, you know, we would uh, take turns of who gets to go all the way to the top is our secret board and all that. So it sounds like you maybe you had some freedom outdoor space. I was born in Pennsylvania, and uh, when I was five years old, I moved to New Jersey, Piscataway, New Jersey, and yeah, we had a house. Lots of my friends right in Piscataway, New Jersey. It was this nice, you know, housing complex. It was the suburbs, like it wasn't a major city, anything like that. Did you spend your adolescent years there also? When I was 10, no, 11 years old, my dad passed away due to kidney failure, and so when the time came, me and my family, we decided to move to Warwick, New York with my aunt. I spent, you know, practically all my high school years there. And as you reflect back, do you recall what were the challenges being an adolescent? Well, for me, it was, uh, I mean, it was, it was difficult. It was, um, in a sense, I grew up in a pretty normal household. But then when my dad passed away, it literally changed my whole world because when my dad passed away there was this common thing of like oh you're the man of the house now you're the man of the house now and I wasn't sure if I was even a boy I was confused about my gender identity I was confused about my sexuality and it put me into a place of um, not really understanding who I was and that led to like, you know, a lot of difficult times and, you know, found myself in a situation where I was, you know, using drugs a lot, you know, it started off with just drinking and 
you know, smoking some weed with my friends, but this was at a young age when I was like a middle schooler. And then it turned into dope, it turned into dope pretty quickly. And I remember being 15, 16 years old, um, shooting dope in, in the bathroom in school. So it was, it was a lot. Outwardly facing, did it seem like I have any problems? No, I had a perfect childhood. Inwardly facing, I was going through a lot because I really didn't understand who or what I was. And it became really, everyone's telling me I'm supposed to be the man and I'm supposed to like girls and I'm supposed to do all this, but my body is telling me something different. I think, you know, being an adolescent is probably a difficult stage in everyone's life, but these issues added maybe more pressure to your life and you might not have had the support you would have needed. Um, yeah, I definitely grew up in a conservative household, you know, Catholic household. And it was, I remember hearing comments when I was a child, um, you know, about like my grandma saying things about um, people, you know, gay people. My, um, I remember when I was a kid and this was before my dad passed away. I got in trouble for looking at explicit material on the internet. But my parents didn't know what site I was looking at. Um, and so my dad thought I was uh, looking at girls and I was, you know, straight and everything like that. But that really wasn't the case. And yeah, it was just some things that were like, I don't know, internally it was difficult. Like outside, everyone thought like everything was perfect and all that. But inside, this added pressure of going through what is my gender? Um, what is my sexuality? Do you remember how old you were when you decided how to identify in your gender? Um, so for me, I knew that I was, well, from my sexuality, I was, um, I was attracted to men for a really long time. Um, and then my gender identity didn't really come out until I was in prison. That's when I really discovered like what the term transgender meant, what the term, what's the difference between being a gay man and transgender. And it was really something that I've come to learn and understand while I was inside prison and then took the necessary steps and very grateful I did. Yeah. And so you were young when you went into prison and you went into a male prison. Yeah. So um, I was arrested June 21st, 2007. And my birthday was June 10th. My 18th birthday was June 10th, 2007. And yeah, a couple of days older than 18. And I spent 10 years inside of a male's prison. Even when I transitioned inside of prison, it wasn't like, oh, okay, I can go to um, a female classified facility. No, it doesn't work like that. If they just go by whatever your genitalia is and how they determine what your gender is. So I can imagine that that must have been really difficult. And I'm, you know, I'm wondering, like, was there any support for you with that struggle in prison? And once you decided? So, okay, so for, 
I had the so I had support of people who I knew in there, um, fellow prisoners. As far as the facility, the facility doesn't give you any support, no counseling, no anything, nothing to talk through. There is options for you to go through a very lengthy red tape process to get on hormones, which is something that I did, but it's not supportive. It's more of like the courts told us we have to do this. So now we have to, it wasn't like, oh yeah, it definitely was not anything, any type of support. In fact, that it made things more difficult when I decided to come out as trans. It's a very different of being identifying myself as a gay male and then coming out as trans. That's a whole different life of problems and complications and daily struggles that you have to go to. Now, don't get me wrong, being a gay male on the inside was not, it was not easy whatsoever, but it's just, it's a different level of difficulties and problems when I came out as trans. And you had mentioned that you had people that were also incarcerated that I guess you built friendships with and you found support there, but I'm sure it wasn't everybody because when you just said, you know, just being gay is difficult. How did the other people react towards you? Not good. I mean, not good. Um, some of the things that like I went through, like I had to... I was told when to shower, not by the cops, but by the prisoners, right? Um, sitting in certain places, standing in certain places when in the yard. Um, those are all difficult things. People just not wanting to be my presence or talk to me because it's like the cooties, right? It's something that, that they could get. And then, you know, there was plenty of the, plenty of the ones who now because I am a trans woman or a gay male um, that I'm supposed to just give up my body freely. And that happened multiple times. I was raped more times than I really honestly care to count um, while I was inside prison by correctional staff and by fellow prisoners. And there wasn't really anybody you could go to and report that? No, because I could have found myself in more danger by reporting something. The term snitch, right? Yeah, I could find myself in more trouble than that. And then even there was a sergeant who repeatedly um, raped me all for drugs. He would rape me, give me drugs. And I was using in prison. There's drugs in prison. Yes, I was using damn near almost the whole time. And I finally reported the sergeant and they didn't believe me. The investigation, all the investigation, they didn't believe me. Nothing happens. This person still has their job. It's almost like a way of life. It's something that honestly, lack of better words, I had to put up with mm -hmm. in order to live another day so you went into survival mode were you shutting out some emotions because you just you were just thinking about i need to live day by day looking forward to the time when you would get out i learned how to shut off emotions 
to just go through the one day after the other because it really was about I don't know like it was it was like like you said it was like survival mode I was shutting off my feelings I was just going through the motions of the day for me it was also the drugs so the drugs like and that's what kept it going I wouldn't say it was a matter of wanting to live it was more on the matter of wanting to get high that's where my brain was at it wasn't like oh I need to live another day it was like oh no I'm I'm getting that bag tomorrow. Like I'm going to be able to shoot up tomorrow. That truthfully is like how it kept me going. And, you know, there are programs in prisons, right? Were there any programs that you could sign up for that could help you? In theory, absolutely. But with any program, with any type of help, you have to be willing to get it. So there's the Department of Corrections programs, um, and that's they have a program called ASAT, Alcohol Substance Abuse and Treatment Program. Those counselors that were in there work really hard. So I don't want to say the program didn't work because I didn't take it seriously. Other people's opinions on the program, I didn't, I didn't give it a real shot for it to actually work as far as drug treatment. But then I winded up in a really a very interesting jail. Um, and that was Woodburn Correctional Facility. It was really close to home. So I was happy to be there. Woodburn is in Sullivan County. Um, and I was, my mom was living in Orange County, a 40 minute drive. And that was the closest I've ever been um, in the last three years. But it was a, it was a program jail. There was college students there. There was a lot of people who had years behind them. Um, and just doing their time and doing their sentence and hopefully coming home. A lot of people in there were never going to come home. I remember sitting in the gym one day. This person, uh, Rahim, came up to me and I didn't know who he was and asked me, hey, do you want to like get involved in AVP? Um, and I'm like, what's AVP? Uh, it's, it's a program. It's, it's, it's a program works on conflict resolution, all fun. And I'm thinking like, who, who's going to have fun? Um, and so my head was like, okay, he's cute. I'll, I'll go to this program. Right. And that was where my head was at. So I put my name and I forget about it. And so I would say a month later, I get a call out slip saying AVP basic workshop. Friday, eight o'clock in the morning. I'm like, wait, what? What is this? And I go there completely forgetting about like, I signed up for this. I thought it was like a mandatory call it different things like that. But I walk into the room, there's a bunch of people there and all that. And I see the civilian, beautiful Bob. I see beautiful Bob and I'm like, oh, okay. There's a civilian here. Um, I thought he was a counselor, but then, you know, I come to find how the AVP program works and I had fun. I literally had fun. At the end of the weekend, I had fun. I had my adjective name. I prefer not to use it because it contains my den name, but my new adjective name now. But yeah, and I had fun. And then I signed up for the advance. 
Um, then I signed up for um, the training for facilitator. It was great. I became the um, inside coordinator for Woodburn for a period of time, having workshops. We increased our numbers that we were doing. People were signing up all the time to be part of it. And I met some really amazing people and it was great. Unfortunately, um, I was only in Woodburn for almost a year, I believe. I got into um, a fight and I didn't even fight. That was, <laughs> I, I got jumped. That's a whole other story. But I left Woodburn. You know, remember what I said about programs being there only if you work them. So when I came home, I attended a 12-step program. And today I am February 13th, three years, three and a half. Some it's <laughs> a little more than three and a half years right now that I'm clean. I haven't had heroin in my body in that long. And because I worked the program and going through that process, I discovered the time that I was working AVP, like being a facilitator and everything like that, I didn't get high. And it amazed me because there was Practically the whole entire 10 years, with the exception of when I was in AVP, I was getting high. There wasn't a day go, maybe one day tops would go by that I wouldn't have any substance in my body. Yeah, that has a lot to do kind of like with where I am today and how involved I am with AVP and why, you know, I continuously go, I have, I have a board meeting tomorrow night, Sunday night, I have a board meeting that I'm going to, you know, go to with a smiling face. Yeah. But well, I'm really glad that happened for you. It sounded like either it was the program or the combination of the program and the timing. And I just want to go back a little bit to explaining mm -hmm. a little bit with AVP. So AVP, the Alternatives to Violence Project, there are facilitators that come in from the outside, so they're volunteers, right? And they offer workshops, but they work together with the facilitators on the inside, which are the people who are incarcerated, who can go through the training and become facilitators. And then there are exercises that are taking place. But then also something else I wanted to mention, because you talked about moving from one prison to the other and then to another one again. And, you know, when you say I moved on the outside world, that sounds like I chose to, but that's not really what happens, right? So the prisons move you from one or the prison system moves you from one place to the other on a regular basis or depending on circumstances. Yes. And thank you for that. Um, people often remind me of that all the time that, yes, I've been home for over three years now. And sometimes still I can be like, everybody knows the slang that I'm talking about. So, yes. Yeah, so there's the Alternative to Violence Project. And that is a prison program that was started in 1974 in Greenhaven Correctional Facility. It was started by men um, inside Greenhaven, and it was started in conjunction with the Quakers and with SNCC as well. And so from there, it has expanded from Greenhaven prison to, I think we're in like almost two thirds of all prisons in New York state. And then we're in 32 different states and 62 different countries ever since 1974. 
And it's a combination. It is the inside team, the men and women. And then there is usually one or two civilian trained facilitators. And so the civilian trained facilitators come in with the inside trained facilitators and they build a workshop together. And it's a team effort. It's no, I'm the civilian, I know everything. If you ever talk to an ABP facilitator who's never been inside prison, I guarantee they will say that I learn more from the inside folks than, <laughs> than I ever can, than they learn from me. And these programs are volunteer, which means is that, yes, it looks excellent when going to appear in front of the parole board to see if you can be released, but it's all volunteer. Like you don't get time off your sentence. You don't get any special privileges, but it is a very popular program in a lot of prisons across the States. So moving from facility to facility. So there's a couple of reasons of why you would move to a facility. So one would be that that facility has a special need, whether it's mental health, whether it's a certain type of program, there's a sex offender program, there is drug treatment program, anger management program, DWI program. And so you would go to a jail if they had your certain program or your certain need, college, a GED, things like that, or for disciplinary action. If you get to disciplinary action in the administration feels that you are a threat to the facility, then they will move you from that facility. And then the other one is a transfer request. And that's how I got to Woodburn. So I was in Mid-State, which was up near Syracuse. And because I was at Mid-State for two years and didn't catch any bad behavior tickets, I was able to request to move closer to home and that was Sullivan, that was Woodburn. But then when I got in trouble in Woodburn, I went all the way up to Buffalo. So like, it's a thing, so. Yeah, and then when you left prison and were released, you had to find a way to reintegrate, right? And now live in the outside world. And was there some support? Was AVP a support for you at that point? Um, sadly, no. When I got released, there was no support. There was none in any sense of like dealing with Department of Social Services, dealing with parole. I, I had, you had to figure out everything on your own. And it was definitely tough. I didn't watch TV for the first two days I was home because I couldn't figure out how to turn on the TV. And I was too embarrassed to ask anyone how to turn on TV. Even like my mom picked me up from Kanasaki Correctional Facility and we stopped at a Dunkin' Donuts about a half an hour away from Kanasaki and I couldn't get out the car. Like I physically could not get out of the car and go into order something. I wasn't ready to face the world. I had to work to find the resources that I found and getting a phone in 2017, like, and not seeing a cell phone since 2007, I'm looking at it. I'm thinking this is the most expensive phone in the world, the touch screen and all that. I'm completely shocked. I thought my mom gave me her phone and I was like, mom, why do I have your phone? I'm like, no, that's your phone. That's like a cheap $50 phone for one. I'm like, what, what? <laughs> this is a cheap phone. It's like some space thing. Yeah. And then 
I found that that was when data was still a thing. I found out that um, data is uh, goes very quickly and that I, I definitely learned. I remember just being on the phone and remembering AVP and I connected through AVP through contacting through the Facebook. Um, I contacted a number of services. And so I contact AVP on Facebook and I get Shirley, Secure Shirley. I tell Secure Shirley who I am and my change because I was a facilitator under another name. Now I'm a venturous Alicia. And it was kind of funny because I didn't think about my new adjective name. And so I'm on the phone with Shirley and Shirley was like, okay, I will update all the records. And so what's your adjective name? And like, on the spot, I thought of Adventurous Alicia. It just so happened that AVP New York's gathering was happening very quickly. Shirley got me a ride from Newburgh, where I was at, to the retreat. AVP comped, you know, comped everything, got me home safely, and everybody was amazing and nice. And it was like, okay. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm settling down. Like, okay, like I'm starting to reconnect. Like the world is not as scary as it seems. And then the AVP journey took off. <laughs> you know, I also wanted to remark on that because this is something a lot of people might not really understand. There's a huge difference between the inside world and the outside world, right? And so when you're in prison for many years, you don't have access to things people have access to on the outside. It's not only that somebody else decides for you, but also your surroundings are so different. So coming out, it's got to be, it's almost like a time travel if you've been there, some people for 20 years, even more, right? You have to learn so many things new. I would think there is a great need for a support system. And you say that you didn't really have it. Maybe your family was really your support system, but not really from the structure of the correction system was mm-hmm. there a great support system. But so you did well. And I'm, you know, I'm really glad mm-hmm. that this is working out for you because you are now out for a couple of years. Your name, Adventurous Alicia, I think says a lot of things about yourself because we might want to also talk about in AVP, everybody chooses an affirmation name. So something positive or something to aspire to, right? In AVP, on the very first day, you pick your name and it's supposed to be uh, a positive adjective that starts with the same letter as your first name. And so that's how I'm adventurous, Alicia. You know, and Part of like me having to go find the support and I had a lot, I call it a lot of strokes of luck and a lot of things lined up for me. And that's exactly what I'm, I'm doing now per se. With getting involved in AVP, AVP doesn't pay. <laughs> I mean, it, it does not pay monetary gains. So I had to find a job, right? So I get a job, I'm working at a fast food restaurant. I'm disliking every minute of it but despite I move up to manager and I was going to school and because I was like all right I want to be a social worker you know I was like I I could sit there and talk to people things like that help people you know 
So I started going to SUNY Orange and my first semester, I met this great faculty advisor, Jamie Gertes, and she encouraged me to, because I was having a hard time my first semester, I was ready to give up. She encouraged me to keep pushing forward. And then she asked me, she says, you know, you should start an LGBTQ club here on the Newburgh campus at SUNY Orange. And I was like, oh, all right, cool. Like, yeah, all right, I'll do that. You know, I was like, because, you know, I, I really owed a lot to Jamie. I wasn't really interested in the LGBTQ. I wasn't really interested in getting to know other LGBTQ people. Um, I had a bad interaction with another, with an LGBTQ center when I got out and I did not feel welcomed. And so I was really like, I really was not looking for a queer community, but I decided to do this. And around that time, the Newburgh LGBTQ Center just got their building. I contacted them to see like how we could like work together and things like that. And I met the co-founder, Ray Liner, and they, they were just talking in a sense of like very inspiring on many different issues, many different social issues, political issues. And it was like, wow. And I was really like listening to them. So after they were talking, they, you know, they asked me and this other girl that I was with, another trans girl, what do you want? And we're like, we want a place to meet other trans people. It's hard. So by the end of the meeting, Ray was on their phone talking to the graphic designer, picking a date for what we call the trans tumbler. And it was a program for other trans people just to come together. And it turned out to be a really successful night when it happened in July. And then in June, Ray, sing, Ray sent me to this workshop called Undoing Racism by the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond. It was a three-day, day-long workshop. And I took it and I was wowed like I was wowed in a sense of like okay what is next like it talks about white supremacy and all and white privilege looking at racism from a social and uh, historical perspective and to understand whiteness and I told Ray after the workshop I was like okay what's next and the relationship built and I was still working I'm volunteering with the Newburgh Center I'm trying to get AVP going on in Newburgh. And so it's a lot. And then I asked Ray, I said, what do we do for folks like me who are coming home, people in prison, different things like that? Because one of their focus areas was community safety and prison abolition. And so I was asking about that. And Ray was like, develop something, right? And I was like, okay, cool. I developed something and like what I would, you know, what would this look like? And I met with another co-organizer, Rudy. And we built the prison abolition group. And it was amazing where it was me and Rudy in a coffee shop. And now it is a section of the Newburgh Center that is fighting for legislation, focusing on prison abolition, focusing on racial equality, focusing on so many different levels. And we have close to like 60 volunteers, interns, paid staff of everything like that. And I was doing this on a volunteer basis, but it wasn't really picking up. And I was working, the pandemic hit. 
I lost my job. I was retail. I was fast food. I was first to go. Unemployment was a pain to like get on. But once you get on, it was like, okay, this is easy. This is all right. And the events of this summer with the murder of George Floyd really spiked an interest on prison abolition, defunding the police, everything that I've been talking about that my organization has been talking about since way back when is now something that people want to get interested in. And so we were working as usual and we had just different volunteers and that, that's really, really, we heightened to grow and things came together for the center and they offered me a position. Now that is my paying job, a job that I love because it's really working together as a team. It's not really a hierarchy. You know, this is the boss and this is, you know, everything like that, but it's really working in a team and trusting each other. And that's what I want to do, right? Because as, as hard as the time that I had coming home, I had to do sex work when I came home. I don't want anyone to go through that at all. And that's what it's about, right? So Yes, I fight for legislation on prison abolition and defunding the police, and I'm constantly playing the political field with that. But for me, it's about building community. The same principles that AVP incorporates and uses is the same principles that can be incorporated and used in prison abolition. AVP is not a political organization whatsoever. I'm using just my personal experience in my connections with AVP and the principles and practices. So building community, trusting each other, working with different people from different backgrounds to come together and to get to know each other, because that's what we do in prison. Majority of the things that happen inside prison, the correctional staff does not know about. And the correctional staff knows that they don't know about because it's about looking out for each other because it's the recognition if something goes wrong, if one person goes down, everybody goes down in prison. So we rely on each other and we trust each other. It doesn't matter. You never say two words to a person. There's this common understanding that we want to bring people in instead of like people getting caught. But yeah, that is kind of like where I'm headed at and to have a place for all folks who are coming home. Yeah. And we all do need community, right? And it sounds like that you found a way to create a life for yourself that, you know, a job that sustains you where your passion is. And I think what you described about your journey also shows your resilience, right? So you were really able to channel those difficult experiences and turn them into something positive. And when you think about the next, I don't know, year, two, three years, what are you looking forward to? And where do you find joy right now? Wow. Okay. Well, so, uh, well, I want this pandemic to be over. Um, so that is, uh, I have a fiance who's in Fishkill Correctional Facility. We have a long history, but we are together. So knock on wood, after doing 30 years, he'll be out in 2023. That is kind of what I'm hoping for. His name is Brian. He is amazing. We've obviously met each other on the inside. And he's just somebody who 
just can always makes me smile, drives me crazy, but always makes me smile. Um, and I love him with all my heart. So like, that is where my mind is setting in my personal life and just continuing to build community, continuing to work with AVP, continuing to strengthen my work with at the Newberg Center and just strengthen my relationships. Because at the end of the day, it's, that's all we got. We have each other. So. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I'm really glad that you have so many positive things to look forward to. And I'm really grateful that you spoke with me and that you shared so many vulnerable aspects of your life with me and our listeners. So thank you very much, Alicia. Thank you. What Chance is created in New York with cover art by Hernan Brabaman and original music by Max Elias.